were, uh, had the opportunity to do some like long-term planning. And if you know anything about long-term planning, for those of you, I know a few of you have been commanders, right? What's the purpose of having your staff plan? So you understand what's going on. It may not even be changing direction. It's just that you understand what's going on in a very short period of time. So that's what we did over the summer. This is BCC's vision. And again, uh, I didn't look it up until I needed to look it up. <laughs> but what does it say? It says one church, many campuses, glorifying Jesus Christ by transforming lives, impacting culture with two things. God's timeless truth and the life-giving gospel. Now, the next part's kind of big, Okay. I thought it was just, let's just settle with, if we could just win Dallas, we're good, right? No, Northern Virginia, and then the world. Doesn't that seem like, isn't that, isn't that a tall order? You know, isn't that, is it realistic? So my wife, uh, she came to Christ through Young, young Life. Yeah, and so, uh, and we were over at Mike uh, Pelican's house. Her Young Life leader was there, who was there during the time, and it was amazing getting to see, to go, it's almost like going back in time and seeing your wife when she came to Christ, and you're hearing from the person that saw her, you know, during that period of time. And one thing he said, he's, he's young life in Western Europe right now, and he goes, the church in Western Europe right now is both dying and exploding at the exact same time. That's whack. How? How is that possible? They could be dying and exploding at the same time. It's dying. The older denominations, the older churches are all dying. And then every new terrorist attack, Every new terrible thing that happens, a bunch of young people are coming there trying to figure out what to do about it. And so he's, they're flooded. They, they almost get inundated from time. Every time something bad happens, they have a ton of people coming to Young Life to try to sort things out. And so he asked my wife and her friends back, way back then, right? Back in the 80s, I believe. Do you believe that you can change your school for Christ? And he said he's had to change it now that he's out there in Western Europe, and he has to ask the kids, do you believe you can change your country? Do you believe you can change your world for Christ? Okay, and here's my question. Does the world even need it right now? Does, does the world need God's timeless truth and life-giving gospel? Has anybody, am I the only one that's been a little shaken seeing some of the violent protest? Is it, am I the only one that's shaken with the racial divide. That, does, that unsettles me a little bit. I don't mind admitting. Is anybody unsettled at the thought of, being, of our national responsibility for millions of unborn children? Is anybody unsettled by entering this period that, you know, I used to read Isaiah 5.20, you know, woe unto you call evil good and good evil, put darkness for light, light for dark, bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Who... Turn it upside down that whatever is good is bad now, and whatever is bad is good now. I thought, okay, well, that's an interesting hypothetical. It, does it feel like we've maybe entered some of that? Okay, does the world need God's timeless truth and life-giving gospel at least as much, if not more, than it's ever needed it before? And I think we do. But where do revival start? And this is all part of the planning that we did here. It starts with one man. What if one man, not, not all of us, just one of us, sold out? Not all of us. We don't even need all of us. God doesn't need all of us. He just needs one of us. What if it's me? What if it's you guys? What if it's one of us? Then, what if two of us? Okay? If Jonah can go in there, and I love his, I had to, I had to put up his, God, his, his message. His message is, 
So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh, and according to the word of the Lord, then he cried out and said, this is the whole message. Uh, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And it worked, <laughs> you know, and all of Nineveh repents. Now granted, there's probably something else going on there, right? But it worked. Holy mackerel, right? So then we go to Isaiah, five, six, uh, Isaiah 6, and this is one of my favorite ones. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? What's the answer? Here I am. Send me. Don't send him. Don't send those guys. Don't send us. Send me. And so that's kind of what we talked about. But, okay, haven't been sent, okay? Uh, then we've got this idea of preparing people to be sent, right? And that's what this really is. If, you, if we almost look at it, it's almost like a missionary training center, right? So we start with, but what's no amount of success in any other parts of our lives, right, can compensate for failure in this relationship. No matter what else we do, no matter wherever else we have success, no amount of success can compensate for failure here. So the first thing we start off with is those individual relationships with Christ, that first circle, right? Then our first mission field, our wives, right? Is missionary living in our, with our wives. Is that pastor of our, our family and our relationship? And then our kids and our third mission field, our friends, work, and then our world. So that was kind of the way that we fleshed this out. Okay, so how do you do that, and how do you build something over, you know, four uh, base camp semesters for this? Well, so we used our little gather, grow, go, and we're looking at practical relationships in Christian living. So Michael Coffey told us, he's like, in real estate, it's, it's location, 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 right? But here in Christ, or here in the men's ministry, it should be application, 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 taking and, and actively working out what it is that he wants us to do. So, we're breaking out. The first one is spiritual gifts and discipline, our relationship, being stewards of the relationship with Christ. The second is our first mission field with our wives. Then we're going to get um, the next semester after that into our families. And then the final one, we're going to look at how do we live out missionary marriages, missionary lives, missionary families around the world. And then we're going to look for someone else to run this thing. <laughs> Did you? there's some wisdom in here, and you plan your way out. You, you already worked your way out of a job, man. It's genius. All right. All right. Okay, if you don't mind, I, that was a long introduction, except that I did not want you to believe that, you know, the, the purpose of planning, if, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there, right? Okay, so what we're done is at least try to plan, put a uh, mark on the horizon and start heading that direction. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that I even get to be here. Thank you that we even get to be here. Thank you that we have the promise that no one else on this earth has, that we can enter the throne room of God at a moment's notice, that we can be in your presence, that we can leverage the very power that created the universe, that created us, at a moment's notice to address and deal with anything that we have going on in our lives. Thank you for these men and their willingness to be here and to serve. We love you and we ask all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so getting into this. So how do you change, what do you do? What do religious people do? Do we change the surrounding? Do we change the surface, the outward appearance of us? Or, or is God shooting for the core? Blam! What's that called? Anybody know what that's called? The thing on her head, by the way. It's not, she, the question wasn't, is that a woman or not? That's called a hijab, okay? But it's almost like a diet hijab, okay? So you have hijab regular, hijab light. That's diet hijab, okay? Okay, that's to cover the hair. Then, blam! Okay, so we move up to the next level, right? Then you've got the hijab that covers your hair, 
the outside of your face, and the neck. And so the idea in the Quran was that uh, women's hair, that's their, their unique identifier, and so it throws men off. It stumbles men to see it. So if we could just fix the external environment, that'll fix the men. They won't have anything to sin. We're good. We, we fix the men by fixing the women, right? And that works, right? Okay. Okay. Well, it didn't work. It didn't work because they could see their face. She's hot. And so he's like, okay, well, we got, let's cover up her face. If we cover up her face, we're good. All we got to do is cover up her face. She should be able to see where she's going because that's, that's just dangerous for everybody, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to let her be able to see but cover everything else up. The problem was I could still see her eyes. So if you ever go to some of the Arabic countries, Muslim countries, you'll see on the back of some of their, uh, their trucks a lady's face with beautiful eyes. They're still stumbled. Ah, okay, okay, so we got to fix this thing. So blam, we'll cover up her, most of her eyes and her hands. Because I mean, look at her hands. She got nice hands. They got like a hand hand model, right? Okay, so we get rid of her hands, we get rid of the eyes, we get rid of the face, we get rid of the hair, and we're good, right? Nope. When I'm in Afghanistan, this uh, I'm standing next to this Afghan national soldier, and this lady in a burqa comes up. I mean, it's it's everything. You can't even see her face, and she gets on the back of a motorcycle. And they start driving off, and the burqa rides up, and you could see her feet. And he's like, "Oh, dude, did you see her feet?" And I was like, are you serious, dude? He's like, oh, that was so hot. And I was like, that's it. So guess what they do? Blam! Cover it all up. Didn't work. Didn't work, did it? Because then you can hear their voice. Or, you, or this is still a problem. So what do we talk about? Why did Paul have such an issue with circumcision of the flesh? So we start with, we change the externals. That'll do it. Nope, didn't work. So we change the, the, the outward signs, right? We change the flesh. Still didn't work, Okay. So what was required, okay? Galatians 3.26 and 27. You are the sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. Then it goes even deeper. And this is the one that I think should, should be a little intimidating for us because then it tells us to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, so that, if, that unsettles me a little bit because why should I be afraid? Why do I need to tremble, you know? And what I think it really talks about is uh, the level of effort in it. That it's saved. There is no question about your salvation. The question is, what are you going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? So then we were reading on Saturdays through Mere Christianity. Delightful book, right? And then you get to the, the chapter, is Christianity easier or hard? And then we come to this part about putting on Christ. It says, when I want to make clear here is putting on Christ is not one among many jobs of a Christian has to do, and it's not the sort of special exercise for the top of the class. It's the whole of Christianity. And I realized, we've got nothing to offer. Like, you don't bring anything to the table except Christ. That's it. That's our, that's our big contribution to the world, is Christ. It's not what you know. You've heard that before. It's who you know. And guess who we know? The author of life, the creator. We know the word of God made flesh. That's all we know. That's all we got. We got no other answer. We've got the promise of heaven or the, or the fear of hell. That's it. And it's Jesus Christ. Okay. So then it comes here. What do we do with that? It talks about the next, what, having, knowing all this, what do you do about it? Right? And then uh, C.S. Lewis says, the Christian way is different. It's harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time. I don't want so much of your money. 
so much of your work, I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. That, that sounds a little scary to me, okay? But then it goes to the next part. It says that we're all trying to let our mind and heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping in spite of all this that we'll behave honestly and chastely and humbly. And that's exactly what Christ warned us we can't do. So if we want to produce wheat, we have to change what's there at the core, we, or we have to really allow Christ to. Okay? It has to be plowed and re-sown. We have to go deeper. So it talks about the spiritual disciplines, okay? which, again, I wasn't frequently acquainted to. So Major Russ Fluker over there, one of, a, one of a, his buddies in our conference group when I was at EWS teaching the captains, came in there, and I, you get a chance to counsel him. He was a Christian, so I was like, okay, so where are you at in your walk? And he's like, oh, I want to focus on the spiritual disciplines. I was like, what? Now, granted, this is, this is about five or so years ago, right? But I was like, spiritual discipline sounds kind of legalistic. It sounds like uh, something that, you, that you're stretching or something very physical rather than spiritual. But then you look at it, and it moves us beyond this idea of surface living. It allows us to explore the inner caverns of the spiritual realm, and it gives us answers to a, a hollow world that has no answers. And who's it meant for? Is it meant for just the spiritual giants? Or is it meant for people who have jobs and kids? who mow lawns, who care for children, okay? And it's to be exercised in our relationships. That's the purpose of all of these, is to change all those. So gifts and disciplines, that's what we'll be talking about this semester. Gifts, you got the gift, it's a gift. Here's your gift, right? But imagine Michael Phillips. I think he's got a gift. I feel like he does. Does he train? He's got the gift, why should he have to train? You know, why should he have to do any exercise to exploit the gift, right? But that's the point here. So this guy, Foster, that we're going to be relying on, he broke out the spiritual disciplines. This is not, you know, this is, your, your salvation is not based on breaking these out properly, right? But he broke them out in this fashion. The inward disciplines, the outward disciplines, and the corporate disciplines. And I think that's a pretty good way of breaking it out, a pretty good way of understanding something that's fairly direct, Okay. But the key part here is that we're behind enemy lines, right? We operate behind enemy lines, and we can't always just assume that we're going to bring a gifted individual over, right? We have to be. It tells us to be ready in season as season to give everybody who asks a reason for the hope that lies within us. Okay. So the key part's here. How do you know if you're off track? How do you know if you've done something wrong? If, you're, if there's no joy in it, there's probably, you've probably, I've probably done something amiss, okay? The second part, they're not hard, right? It's, it's as hard as picking up the phone and calling someone that you care a great deal about or reading a love letter that your wife wrote you a long time ago. That's how difficult it is. It's reading the Bible. It's praying, and we'll get into some of the other ones. But the one that really excites me is this idea that the life pleasing to God is not a series of religious duties. We only have one thing to do, to experience a life of relationship and intimacy with God. That's it. That's the whole thing. So there's two ways that we can handle <laughs> these problems. So we've been talking about the Costanza Doctrine uh, when we're running on Saturday mornings. And I've realized now there's a, there's a scene in Seinfeld <laughs> where Jerry Seinfeld looks across at Costanza and he goes, you know, I realized if your every instinct is wrong, right, then the opposite must be, Right. 
And so you see, George is like, that's incredible. And so he goes up to this beautiful lady at the, at the desk or at the, the, the counter, and he's like, I'm overweight and balding. I live in my parents' uh, basement. I have no job. Would you like to go on a date? And she's like, oh, I love your honesty. This is amazing. So what I realized is, if my every, every effort in the flesh, if Jesus Christ, if he's to be taken at his word, that, that my every effort is like filthy rags, if I take that seriously, that all my physical effort can't accomplish it, then the opposite must be true, that, that the answer has to lie somewhere else, okay? So I broke out a helpful, helpful diagram, of course. Okay, so these are the physical disciplines. I literally, all I did was I took the spiritual ones, and I went with what would it look like in the physical. Now, I, I just need you to tell me, any one of these that are bad by themselves, in and of themselves, industry, the opposite of laziness, right? It's hard work. Uh, action, just doing it, where you're just sitting there, you're being decisive, you step out. Dieting, is there anything wrong with diet and nutrition? No. None of these, there's nothing wrong with any of these, right? You go down, being social or being social media, right? Nuance, uh, self-assurance, taking care of yourself, evolving, loving yourself. Anything wrong with, with those things by themselves? Not by themselves, okay? But where do they lead? If, if I'm trying to attack the, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, fractions, hatred, right? I've tried. I, I'll be honest with you. I did it for, for decades. You know, my thought life. What, what, a, what a hell of a prison that is. To, 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 to be chained to your own thought life? My God, try to go ahead and break that. Break cussing in the Marine Corps with just stopping cussing. Good with that one, Right? Look at over there. Any of these physical disciplines, there's nothing wrong with them. But where do they lead in and of themselves? For every one sin you get rid of, four more spring up. And they didn't spring up. They were already there. You just became aware of them. Okay? But then we have the spiritual disciplines. We're leveraging eternal God to fix a finite situation. I like the odds. I like those odds better. <laughs> and what are we looking for? This stuff sells itself. Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That sounds good. Who, who, who do we have to do the hard sell on that one? You know, would you like that with your, would we like that with our wives, with our kids, having had a house in turmoil where you have a, let's say, maybe your wife's got a little hormonal and your teenager is loaded, laden with hormones and then there's all of a sudden it looks like the UFC going on in there, Right? Okay, would we love some love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? I think it sells itself. So, here are our discussion questions this week. First, what have you tried already to fix in your life, right? Whether it's arguments with your wife, rebellious kids, strife with coworkers, addiction to porn, bitterness, through diligent physical effort, okay? And did it work? Second one is, what are the most difficult spiritual disciplines for you? And why are they difficult? And who leads your house right now in spiritual disciplines? Notice in the question there is an assumption, right? So who does? Who's, who's, setting, who's taking the lead on this one? Okay, the last part I'd like to leave you with as we wrap up is uh, please don't just answer the questions, but this week, take note of them. Take note of where do I rely on physical discipline to address these problems or a spiritual one to overcome? Do I leverage eternal power to, to deal with a finite situation? Or do I le leverage finite power to deal with a finite situation? Okay, let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll, uh, 
get our coffee and start talking. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for this, brothers. Thank you so much for our conversations. Bless the conversations around these tables, and we ask all things in Jesus' name. Amen.